we'll start this. And so we're, you know, looking at the Torah portion and it's, um, make sure, I got to make sure that the fan didn't blow me to the wrong page. Oh, wait. Oh, no, it's good. It's good. I just want to make sure I'm starting on the right spot. Yeah, Deuteronomy. Yeah. No, we're good. Unless if you want it off, that's fine. Um, I'm try. I'm wanting to uh, point out to you guys different apps and different study tools and things. Um, so I don't know if you are aware of it or not, but there is an app for iPhone, probably for other phones too, actually called Torah Portion. No, and it tells you what the portion for the week is, and it gives you a little, in a nutshell, summary. And then it has different rabbinic commentary, which is sometimes interesting, and sometimes I go, I, I don't know why they're talking about that, but okay, you know. Or, and and usually I can get something out of it. Mostly, um, mostly I, I look at them in a nutshell, you know, to, to kind of refresh my memory of which which stories it is. And um, yeah. Yes, those are fun. Those are fun. Made real simple. Sometimes I need to get that simple. <laughs> yeah, it's just called Torah portion. Mm -hmm. And and that's what the app looked like when you. It's if you look at, at the outside of it. Mm -hmm. Let me see. It looks like um, I don't know if I can enlarge it, but it looks like a scroll. It's oh. it's the Torah opened up and. In the middle, oh, right yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm gonna get that. And then you go inside of it, and it's it's got, and it, it'll show you all the past Torah portions too. So if you're behind on something, or you want to go back and check something, or somebody asks you about a particular portion, you can go back and look. Um, but. Been around a while. Um, I have it for a year or so. Maybe maybe a couple of years. Is it free? Yes, it is a free app. So, by uh, Kanan, and I besought. It, it, so the, this week's Torah portion means and I besought. Oh, okay. And it is Deuteronomy 3.23 through 7.11. And in a nutshell, it says, um, this portion repeats the prohibition that Moses was prohibited to enter the land of Israel and that Joshua is to succeed him and lead the people to the land of Israel. The portion deals with the commandment to keep the Torah and remember the standing at the foot of Mount Sinai as well as with the concept of repentance, which appears here for the first time, which is an interesting thing. So this is the first time that the idea of repentance is discussed in the scripture. And, um, and the known text of the Shema is in this passage. So hear, O Israel. Um, and then Moses makes another speech where he repeats the Ten Commandments and distinguishes three cities of refuge on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And he warns of idol worship in the land of Israel and instructs the destruction of the statues. He also reminds the people that the creator is the one who led them into the land of Israel, the good land that they are destined to inherit. And... One of the things, a couple of the things that struck me while, just while I was reading the nutshell this morning, was <coughs> one of the things that I've been hearing a lot of discussion on in different circles that I'm in that I, I think is very interesting. I don't always agree with how it's said or, or the points being made, but I think it's an interesting thing to consider is in modern Western Christianity, is the way the Bible is engaged with sometimes idolatry? Oh, awesome. Are people worshiping the book or the quote-unquote plain reading of the text over what the message of it is? Um, you know, I've said before my my professor at Fuller who talked about if, you know, if your study of the Bible is making you more arrogant instead of more humble, you're reading it wrong. That's true. You know, one of the things we talked about, more loving, yes. Well, yeah. Right. It's supposed to renew your mind and your spirit. Yeah. And, 
And I think it's amazing that we live in a day and age where we have access to so many translations and such accurate presentations of the original text, um, you know, the most reliable versions of it. And, and yet most of history didn't. Most of the history of Christianity, maybe the priest who was teaching you had read part of the text. You know, if you watch the movie about, about Martin Luther, he was a priest, you know, or a monk serving, you know, in a teaching position. And they decided he was showing enough interest and zeal that they had collected the funds to send him to go be able to actually read a copy of the Bible that was in a library chained to a desk. Because it took years to, for a scribe to copy a Bible. So there were only so many of them. Yeah. And they were, they were, you had to go to the Bible. The Bible did not come to you. And so in a sense, in, you know, in Catholicism, that's how the pillar of tradition came up was because that was what they were taught to teach since they didn't have access to the Bible and the tradition was supposed to incorporate biblical truths and biblical ideas. Um, sometimes it did and sometimes it, you know, which was once he read the Bible, that's when he got upset and did his, you know, protest was because he realized that a lot of the things the Catholic Church was, was teaching weren't found in Scripture. And that bothered him because he had put a lot of pressure on himself to observe these things very faithfully and then come to find out they're not even things that the Bible says you have to do. So, in a sense, I'm, I'm so grateful that we are at this time where we can engage the text and we can read the text ourselves. And, and I think that is a wonderful thing that the Protestant Reformation brought about was the ability to every person in their own language have access to the word of God. But a lot of traditions seem to elevate the, elevate the written word of God over living out faithful obedience to what's in the text. You know, it's one thing to yell at other people that they should be laying down their life for a neighbor it's a whole other thing to go out and lay down your own life for a neighbor. Yeah. And I think in a lot of communities, there is so much emphasis on debating what the Bible says that people aren't out loving their neighbor and, and being walking gospels, you know, walking examples of their testimony. You know, your, your testimony is important. Your testimony is incredibly important in sharing the gospel. Your life is vital if you are going to make a disciple. Because a disciple is somebody who is watching you to see what it looks like to live the way you say you believe. Right. Exactly. It's much easier to make a convert than it is a disciple. You can stand on a preach, you know, a street corner yelling at people. You'll get however many are going to stop and say the prayer. But that's, a, that's not what the Bible says to do. I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. If that's what they believe they're called to do, then by all means, that's what they should be doing. And sometimes that's one of the steps in the introduction to or the, the you know, calling in the harvest of somebody. Um, I think Kitty and I were talking about how, how um, a pastor, she had heard a pastor say, by the time someone accepts the Lord, they've heard the gospel on average 27 times. And you don't know which number you are on the way to that. And sometimes you're running parallel to other people. But it's not just hearing the gospel, air quotes here, hearing the gospel that convinces people that, that Yeshua loves them. It's seeing the gospel and experiencing the gospel, and that has to happen in relationship. That happens when the people they encounter are genuine. That happens when the people that they're, that they're engaged with are 
actually living what they say they believe. You know, somebody who's telling you how to get saved, that you're watching not live any differently than anybody else, most people are going, why would I do that? You know, what's the point? I don't understand. And so a lot of our, a lot of how we engage with the text in, in, the, in modern Western Christianity, I, I think it's an interesting thing to consider whether it's an idolatrous way somebody is, you know, elevating the text. Will they not, will they not set the Bible on the ground? I mean, I, I've seen some extreme examples. Will they not set the Bible on the ground because it's the word of God? But they'll shame somebody or, or be hor horrific to another person. Right. When scripture says that we're all made in the image of God and that the breath of life he put into us is, is a spark of the divine and it's, it's, a, you know, it's a piece of, him, of God that is you know, crying out for God. It's, it's what calls, you know, like calls to like and that he put that in us. And if I'm treating you who are made in the image of God, like garbage. Right. But don't you dare touch with dirty hands this book right. that contains the written word of God. I may be missing something. Right. I, I may be missing a big point of this. It's why John says, if you say you love God, but hate your brother, the love of God is not in you and you're a liar. And that's why the two commandments are, are like, they're alike, they're, they're equal. There's no one greatest commandment and then a, an add-on or, you know, the top two greatest commands, period. It's the greatest command. He says, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Second is equal. Love your neighbor as yourself. No. I think people, I think some people don't even do it maliciously. No. Right, exactly. I'm thinking when we, when John and I walked into that church in, in North Carolina, it was all white church, and we were treated so coldly, we knew what that meant. Right. Because we grew up in this system, so we knew that meant don't come back to this church. Right, you are not welcome not here. Harm you or anything. It's Thank great God. you love God, you but, go in peace, but. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot but go. Of people wasn't doing it. But they, they may have seen it ever since they were a little kid. Right. Them. It's what they were steeping. No, honey. They go to the church and we go to ours. Right. You know, and little kids are probably like all mixed up about what you're saying, but it's tradition or that's the way it's right. always been. So you don't do nothing to rock the boat. Right. You know, you just let it happen. Well, and that's why the, the verse in Proverbs, raise up a child in the way he should go and in the end he will not depart from it. Yeah. The imagery in the Hebrew is so powerful because it's an imagery of, of steep a child. What Basically, it's saying whatever you steep a child in, that's the direction they will go. Well, you know what, too? And then on the other hand, here you have me, and I grew up under the Jim Crow movies. Right. I lived in an all-black neighborhood. I went to all-black school. But I thought in my heart... Right. That surely wouldn't be that way in the church. Mm -hmm. So I walked in that church with no ambitions at all. Right. I'm going to be accepted because this is God's house. Right. And the God that's been portrayed to me is a loving, kind God. Exactly. And surely he wouldn't throw me out of his own church. Right. Surely everybody's doing what the Bible's asked to love one another. That's what he says, the second greatest commandment. Exactly. So surely I'm thinking, I'm walking in this church and I'm going to be accepted just because of that. Right. But right. I'm not. Well, so. and I think that's one of the challenges because, and I think that this is something that we're seeing coming into conflict a lot today, yeah. and a lot of people don't realize it, is if you are, if what you're steeped in as a child, you're taught never to question, right. especially in subcultures of Christianity where questioning is sin. Or evidence of a lack of faith, right. okay, or or touching the Lord's anointed by by challenging the pastor, okay. So you've got you've got communities where it is never okay to question. Yeah. 
and you're steeped in that culture and community and part of that is never questioned. But then you've got other communities going parallel to this where you're steeped in the culture because that's what it is, but you're challenging the culture and you're questioning the culture because you see injustice in the culture. And where there's, where there's injustice, most people don't see injustice that isn't happening to them unless it's clearly pointed out. Okay? That's the difference between sympathy and empathy. You know, if I know something's going ha- happening to you, I can go, oh, I sympathize. That's, I feel for you. That's, but empathy meaning I understand, I can relate. So when you've got communities that have never been on the receiving end of injustice, they don't see the injustice that's happening to others around them if they're not actively looking or it's not pointed out. But the communities receiving the injustice are very aware that there is an injustice happening because it's happening to them. And the problem comes when that, that community or, you know, people from it or, or, or people advocating for it are saying, this injustice has been going on forever. But this other group over here is going, well, we've never seen it. Yeah. And I'm not doing it intentionally. Right. And so this is where a lot of, this is where I find that a lot of the Jewish teachings about scripture engage with and wrestle with these kinds of things because the Jewish people were oppressed for so long. You know, when you're dealing with the Exodus, when you're dealing with coming out of Egypt, you're dealing with issues of injustice, issues of oppression, issues of slavery, issues of, of systemic injustice against a people. And God's desire to set them free from that. And I'm guessing that that story was experienced differently by the Egyptians. (laughs) When it's your gods being knocked down, you may take less kindly to it than the people going, yes, our God is winning in this. Right. You know, this is, this is happening. And so when you're, when every year you're told to live in tents at Sukkot, to remember when you were in the wilderness after the Exodus, when every year you're celebrating Passover and and you're eating the bitter herbs and you're dipping in the salt water and you're eating the mortar and and you're, you're talking about what God has saved your people from. And when you're looking at obeying Torah, which says, be kind to the stranger among you. Include you know, the servants in your home in this. Shabbat is for every, your servants are not working for you on Shabbat. Everyone is resting. This is an, it's an inclusive faith. It's a faith that says, if you're here, you are part of this and you are welcome and you are included and I'm not going to take advantage of you even if you don't believe exactly as I do. But then then people seem to to have in their minds when you talk to them about Celebrate the feast days, and why do you not ask those pastors yeah. and congregations about that? And you know, oh, that's what the Jews do. But isn't right. that where Christianity came out of? Right. You know well, saying? I think so that I think that neglecting our our neglecting the roots of Christianity yes, has led to a detached way. Christianity. It's a Christianity that is very often not inclusive. Because there are no commands telling it to be inclusive. Because they have detached from the commands that tell it that. Exactly. So it's like, how can you just just discount that and say, oh, that's the Jews or Hebrews, that's what they do. We do this. And it's great to celebrate freedom from sin. Right. But isn't that what Constantine did, though? He kind of helped spearhead separate us. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the crazy Jews. Don't do that. Do this. Yeah, David Stern. <laughs> David Stern has a really good book yeah. called "Restoring the Jewishness of the Gospels," 
and it talks about the historical path from um, the way, the early church that was called the way, uh, or halakha, which was uh, a Jewish sect, to 300 AD when they were completely separate religions that, you know, I, I, one, one of the reasons I tell people modern Judaism is as young as modern Christianity, and they grew up in opposition to each other. Prior to that, it was not a separate thing. But when you detach, when you, um, one, one of the women I, that I knew for years used to, she had, was, had grown up Catholic and then had become um, a Messianic believer. And she said when the church split, the Jewish community took how to live. And the Christian community, or the, you know, they took how to love your neighbor and the Christian community took how to get saved. But if you don't have how to live and how to get, you know, how to be saved together, you've only got part of the picture. And that's true because in the churches that I've been in, the emphasis is on how to get saved. Right. Well, what was in her, it took me a couple of years to see this, but what they do is, once they get you to say yes to Jesus and repeat the sinner's prayer, mm -hmm. then they kind of like drop you. It's like right. dropping off a cliff. Right. Because then you don't know how to live. Right. You know, and they meet well, that with let's have study groups or let's have you know let's yeah. have small groups, which is yeah. a bunch of people who probably don't know much more than you all reading things together yeah. and trying to understand them. And, and there's benefit to that, but there's more benefit in asking the questions and getting the answers of what does this mean? Right. How are we supposed to live? You know, when I, the woman that I talked to years ago, on, and I, I know I've shared this before, but she posted online, she said, I, I don't think I'm saved on a Christian website. Yeah. And, and immediately, well, did you say the sinner's prayer? Have you been baptized? All the different people from their different backgrounds are saying, this is how you know you're saved. Have you done these things? Yeah. And she's, she's saying, yeah, I've done that. I'm saved. And I finally I, I came in and I said, hang on. She's saying she doesn't know if she's saved. How are you all so sure she is? I said, so I'm going to ask you, why do you think you're not saved? And she said, well, I was told that when I got saved, I received the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would tell me what sin was and what, what wasn't sin and, and how to live and teach me this. And I think I'm going along good, and then people are constantly telling me the things I'm doing are sins. And I what things? You know, I mean, if you're having an affair, yeah, well, you know, you yeah. probably need to be talked to, you know. Uh, but but what, what, thing, what things are you doing? So, well, I wore a dress to church, and apparently it was two inches too short, and so God's angry. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you shared a few other examples. And I said, all right. But let me ask you this. What if I told you there is a place in Scripture where you can go and read everything that God says is a sin? And she went, are you kidding me? I said, no. This section of Torah, this is where God says this is how, what he defines as sin. And there are things outside of that that God might convict you of or that a community you're part of might have as a standard, which is which is fine, but you know, it's to a certain extent, as long as it's it's a standard and not, you know, uh, call as called a sin, you know, but be when you become part of a community, it's it's okay to have, you know, this is how we live or this is how we do this. I said, but on the issue of sin, you can go read it. Here it is. Go read it here. And she came back and she's like, why has no one ever told me that was there? I'm running around terrified I'm sinning and don't know. Right. And God cares enough about me that he actually spelled it out. And, and I said, now, different people can debate about what that means for us today. You know, does being saved? I said, there's a lot of different ideas about it, but that, that's sin. God, God defined it for He doesn't want you to walk around scared. He doesn't walk, want you to walk around trying to intuit from the ether what, what is and isn't okay. And, and 
she's I, she goes so then what what is what does it mean to be saved you know and I said well it's you know it's 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 this it's loving God and and believing that what he says about his son and that that Yeshua came and and did these things and and having that change how you treat other people and and view yourself and your your relationship with God meaning where you stand in relationship to God right. you know being being separated from or cut off versus being connected to and she's like well I love God I'm like then you're good <laughs> and she's like she's like dang you know and she came back a few years later and was like you know this this and I and, and I you know I explained grace covers when you when you do violate these things or when you do you know none of us are perfect so it's not a legalism thing it's not a being saved by knowing and doing these things it's that this is God's standard of holiness and grace covers us because we don't meet it and so you know she's like well this is a God I can actually love and like and want to know Versus the God I was taught that I had to be afraid of, and and hope He didn't catch me doing the wrong thing. I know. It, to me, I look at isn't the Ten Commandments kind of a summary of the law? Because if you could just keep that in mind and keep them, and especially the one that talks about loving your neighbor as yourself, because right? Then you're not going to steal from your neighbor. You're not going to go kill your neighbor. Right. Not, you know, which is why Yeshua says all those things start with yeah. hate. Yeah. It's the if you don't love your neighbor, then you view them, it, you objectify them. You know, lusting after your neighbor's wife is partly about wanting something that belongs to someone else in that sense. Not that people belong to each other, but right. wanting something that isn't for you. Right. But I think there's also the element of objectifying them. Yeah. You're treating that, you're disrespecting the wife mm -hmm. by seeing them as an object. Um, there's a reason that in the Ten Commandments, and, and this blew me away when I learned it, the, the, the thou shalt not steal is not, in the Jewish community, is not understood to be stealing property. Because the things in the Ten Commandments are the death penalty things. Mm -hmm. So stealing, there's, it's all outlined. You owe this much back, you have to return the thing and pay this much in damages, whatever. It's believed to be stealing someone's freedom or, or kidnapping. So if I take away your freedom, I have stolen something so powerful from you that it warrants the death penalty. If I objectify you, if I view you as less than human, if I view you as there for my power and control and dominion, I have violated these things. Just like the third, you know, the third commandment to um, not take the Lord's name in vain. There's an element of not taking God's name casually. There's an element of not, you know, swearing by calling on God. But there's also the element of not saying God says something he didn't say. And not, not distorting God's message to people by, by saying, you know, well, God said this and God said that when he didn't. Because that's taking the and that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's like God said this, and God's like, I didn't say that. I did not say that. And so, when when I'm looking at at the way people who profess faith behave, those are the things I'm looking at. How are, are they objectifying people? How are they treating other people? Are they advocating for things that violate these commands? Are they objectifying people or, or arguing that it's okay to deny them freedom or, or take things away from them or oppress them in some way? Because those things violate the Ten Commandments. And, and I, think that's, I think that's one of the reasons why, when you look at Shabbat, why everybody was required to do it. It's not just for the privileged people who are full members of this community. I don't care where your servant came from, you're letting them rest today. Yeah. They're not here to do the stuff you can't do. I mean, there's a beautiful tradition that has grown up of the Shabbat Goyim, 
um, in different communities. Uh, in fact, some of the stories are incredibly beautiful where it, it, like in Israel, um, when the Arabs and the Jews and the Christians were living peacefully together for, you know, prior to a lot of the stuff that happened where they each celebrated a different day of rest. And so the other communities would take over their work for those days so that they could all rest and the things that needed to be done still got done. Um, I, I think that's incredibly beautiful. So they weren't denying them rest because they honored that those people celebrated a different day. They believed God told them to rest on a different day. Right. So they all respected each other enough to give each other their day of rest and, and serve each other on those days. Right. And, and that's a beautiful example, I think, of loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, on, they didn't go out and yell at each other on the alternative days of rest. You know? <laughs> You're resting on the wrong day. You know, <laughs> don't you know? Don't you know? God's word says. <laughs> but it's. But again, do you read the Ten Commandments as instructions to you of how to live, or do you read it as a way to judge other people about yeah. their faith? You know, if, you know, so when I say I'm looking, are, are these teachings, what are these teachings saying? I still, I, I'm not, I try really hard not to judge the people who are listening because they don't know, you know, they're, they're listening to it. They're being, they're being steeped in it. They're being told, but I'm not going to partner with teachings that violate these principles that violate these ideas, right. you know? So in this section, God is reiterating why uh, Moses cannot go into the land. So who, who remembers, Kia, girl, who remembers why Moses isn't allowed to go into the land? Do you remember? Oh, because, because I remember this because he got, like, angry and he didn't use, like, the Lord's name for, like, the miracle that happened. Do you remember what the miracle was? And you're, yeah. The water from the rock? The water from the rock. I was like, she hitting it. Yeah, she's like, he didn't say it, he's hitting it. Miriam's rock that she carried throughout the wilderness, that wherever she would put it down, um, it it would pour water. And at this point, Miriam has died. And so, um, when we first, the first time we hear about the rock, God told him to strike the rock. And, and that was when it first started to flow. Okay? So he struck the rock and it flowed. But later, in the second time that we're encountering Moses interacting with the rock. Um, oh, and the, and the first time, it's really neat because... Moses goes to God, and, and in the Hebrew, he says, the people and the animals need water to drink. And God says back to Moses, the people need spiritual water, and the animals need water to drink. Yeah. So let this, this flow. So there's a, there, yes, the people needed the water to drink, but I think that it nourished their soul and their spirit to have water coming out of a rock in the middle of the desert. To see God miraculously providing the water that you need to live changes you. And, and so when we get to the second time when Miriam has died and, and Moses has the rock and water is not flowing from the rock and the people are grumbling, and God tells him, go and speak to the rock. And it doesn't tell us what he's, you know, everything he said to say, but go and speak to the rock. And Moses instead goes out and hits the rock. And, and the Jewish commentary, the rabbinic commentary says, because of God's reaction, we know there was something really important that the people were supposed to get from whatever Moses was supposed to say to the rock. Right. And, and that this is a picture, that this is a, a 
was a picture that because we didn't have it when we went into the land, it affected how we lived. And, and you know, the number of times that we're told that Yeshua is the rock. And so when, when you're sharing redemption, when you're sharing salvation, when you're sharing the message of Yeshua, the, the question I've come to ask is, are you speaking to the rock or are you striking the rock? When I'm sharing who God is with someone, am I distorting the message of the gospel by, by speaking judgment and condemnation and punishment and striking versus sharing and speaking and loving and, and, and a life-giving message? So basically what happened the second time is the people got the physical water they needed, but they didn't get the spiritual water that they needed because Moses didn't do what he was told to do. That's why he wasn't allowed to go into the land. And, and that's why the, the significance of that is why the rabbis go, this was a big deal. Like this wasn't just like the other times where things happen and God said, yeah, we'll fix it this way. This was, you know what? You're not leading them into the land. You're not doing it. It's not going to be you. It's going to be Joshua. And, and yet, um, someone pointed this out to me a while back, which I thought was really beautiful. When at the transfiguration, when Yeshua is standing on the mountain and, and they see him with these two people, one of them is Moses and they are in the land. So Moses got to be in the land, just not prior to his death. He didn't get to be the one to lead him there. Why do you think Moses, I, in my mind, I always think, why didn't Moses do what God told him? Because he did it most of the time. Yeah. You know, he'd go and ask God, okay, what to do about this situation? God told him, didn't do it. So why did he get in a hurry? Uh, you know. Did he not do it uh, out of, I'm going to do it my way, kind of, if you know, you don't know. I used to be a lot more judgmental of Moses. And 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 the people were getting on his nerves. Yes, yeah, seriously. Right, forty years of grumbling, and I'd be going, my word. I would be worse than Moses. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be cussing with everything. Well, think about think about when your grown when your grown children do things that you think seriously you haven't gotten this yet. I've been teaching you this since you were inside me. Ooh, I know I wouldn't have been the one. <laughs> and and Moses, you know, and, and think about the, the types of miracles that have been going on and the things yeah. that have happened. And I'd be going, I don't know, maybe every time that rocks, you know, every time you need water, God brings it from this rock. And seriously, you're going to come grumble at me? And I and I would imagine that grumbling, you know, we hear grumbling and we think, <laughs> but there seems to be an indication several times when it's talked about, that they're challenging who God is. They're challenging yeah. God's character. They're, that, you know, oh, God's letting us down this time. You know, why? Well, God, God's given us water. And, you know, my, my brother is so funny. He, what did they start? What did they start calling it? He was telling me that they called it the, um, God's awesome the God's awesome, where's God dynamic. And, and he, you know, he was saying that they, they were in a situation like when he was, when he was going to go out to um, PLNU for his, his worship uh, degree and God had brought about miracle after miracle. You know, I've, I've told you guys before where he called them and he said, you know, I'm sending my application. God said, I'm supposed to come there. And they're like, okay, but you know, they, yeah, you're accepted, but we're, we don't have any scholarship money until next year. And he said, well, no, God wants me to be there in the spring. So you'll get the scholarship money. And they said, we really don't have any scholarship money. He goes, no, no, it'll be there. Just let me know when you find it. You know, and then they send him a letter. We've got scholarship money for you. You know, so like God told him and he knew yeah. and he was doing it and he was just stepping out in faith and every, every single step of the way, God, yeah, here it is. Here it is. So the day after he gets that letter and they're all God's amazing. Look at this. 
And then their refrigerator started to die, and they immediately were like, what are we going to do? And and he says, we stopped, and we went, you know, (coughs) we just did an Israelites in the wilderness thing, where literally the very next day, we're wondering where God is. And maybe if he can do all of this miraculous stuff for this, he can take care of this too. And so they calmed down and it all got worked out and and it was fine. But we do that. You know, God's so awesome. Praise God. Hashtag blessed. And then the next day. And, and what God said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. People, some people have the notion, if I'm serving God and I'm believing in God, then nothing should touch me. Right. And that's so far. I'm a child of the king, and I should be living in a palace, and there I should be and driven should in a carriage. And I should have have. Right. I should be the world should have troubles, not me. What God told you, you see, you're going to have trouble. It's not if... It's coming to you. Sooner or later, it's going to come. Well, and you know what one of the most amazing testimonies is? What? Like we say in the song, joy over sorrow. Yeah. Faith over hopelessness. When you encounter something that most people would become hopeless in, and you have hope, they want to know why. When you're going through, and, and, you know, the whole joy over sorrow, it's not being happy. It's not saying never being sad. But there's a difference between grieving something that is, that is deserving of grief and sorrow that consumes you as who you are. You know, and you, you went through this, you know, when you, where, where, you were able to you were able to have joy in the midst of sorrow. You were able to have hope in the midst of despair. And you know what? It's clearly a choice. You yeah. have to choose it, but then you have to go with God with it. Right. You, you're not gonna be able to And you can but yourself. you can only choose it if you understand that it's available, if you understand yes. that it's there. Yes. If God reminds you in the midst, hey, I'm here. I'm still here. And and when you go through something and it doesn't crush you and you come out stronger on the other side instead of weaker, that's your testimony. And people are watching. People you don't know, our children are watching. Our children are watching how we go through things. Our, our friends are watching. You know, there were some things that we've gone through that, that people in my life, you know, Trials of Job kind of things or people in my life are like, I don't even know what to say to encourage you. I'm just going to sit here and cry with you. Yeah, like that family that lost, what, nine people, that water swept away. Yeah. I mean, how do you even begin again? Yeah. I mean, whole family, husband, wife, and the three kids, gone, plus the, what, it was an older woman, and then I don't know who that was. Yeah. I couldn't even keep them all in my mind, but I was like, that's like unreal. That's just know, grief like tragedy. Yes. And you never expected it. It just came upon you. Right. You know. And and I think that our society does not know how to support people in grief. No. And I think that in the church, people don't know how to support people in grief no. because of the idea that if you're really saved, you'll just be happy all the time. If yeah. you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You know, well, where's the, if you're grieving and you know it, cry until the middle of the night. Where's yeah. that verse? Yeah. You know, where, where's the, if you're devastated, you know, if you're devastated and you know it, ask for a hug. I mean, where are these verses that, <laughs> that would actually be helpful? <laughs> I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to make a new song. Because what, the way... You know, there's the element of you, there's the element of we have to see it's available, and we do need to choose those things. But the body of Messiah is supposed to hold you up. You know, when you actually when you injure a part of your body, right. all of the muscles and and the parts of the body around it step in and compensate while that heals. 
In fact, that's, that's what happens with fibromyalgia is something gets damaged and the muscles around it take over and that thing doesn't heal correctly. So eventually the muscles that were taking over get exhausted and then the muscles around them take over. And then eventually you've got the tiniest little muscles trying to keep your whole body going. That's what causes all the pain. And it's like the body of Messiah has fibromyalgia at this point. Because we've, we've not known how to support each other. We've not known how to facilitate healing in, in the wounded parts of our body. And so we've been trying to compensate for it. And, and we're just in a, there's a lot of pain at this point. Whereas when we, when we compensate for, for that, that wounded part of our body... We're supposed to be coming around it, lifting it up, upholding it. I mean, think about how many cultural traditions involve support while you're grieving. You know, in in sitting Shiva yeah. for 30 days, in the dark, on a box. And, and everyone, you know, comes and brings you food and, and takes care of you and lets you be literally offline from the body for that time so you can... So you can Immerse yourself in the grief. <clears throat> and then, you know, in Celtic communities, when they, they would lay the body on the table for three days in the middle of the dining room and bring food and drink and, you know, have a wake. And, you know, because in the three days was when most people who are actually not dead wake up. And so you're hoping, we're going to hope that this person wakes up before we have to bury him. But the community wow, is... No, no, well, not for the, not during that time, because they, mo- oh, that's right, because they're waiting for them to wake up. Right. So they're they, they gone. Right. Because I'm thinking, wow, I don't know, maybe you're the drinking Vikings. so much you don't know. <laughs> the Vikings. They did the same thing. They used to be, I thought they burned you. But after the time that would indicate you were actually dead, and, and then they would, they would send you off and. And so we don't do that. We, we don't have something like that in modern American Western. I mean, we all go to a funeral and a memorial, you know, and then we, we might, you know, a year later go, are you still sad about that? Yeah. You know, aren't you over that yet? Yeah. That was a year ago. And yet, for the person who's who's closest to the loss, right. it was only a year. Right. And it probably seems like yesterday. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even even in you know the tradition in, in years past where people would wear black for a certain amount of time to show that they were in mourning, to show that the, was reading about how the royal family has to travel, all the things they have to travel with, and one of them is they all have to have a black outfit in case someone in the royal family dies so that wherever they are in the world, they have the appropriate mourning clothes, you know? And, and yet there's something about embracing the, the death and the grief that comes with it as part of our life that, that, that it embraces reality. I feel like sometimes there's like an unrealistic expectation. There's a complete detachment and what we're expected to buy into and, and believe and how we're supposed to live. And when that fails you, then you're the problem. I know, I just went to a funeral not long ago. Um, yeah. The guy who, the, in the plane crash. Uh-huh, I yeah. Knew, I knew John. And, and we went to his funeral, and I saw a lot of people with black on. That's yeah. black and white on myself. You know? Yeah. His wife had on white. And she had the white sandals and everything. I said, you go, girl. Yeah, absolutely. She was like, hey, uh-uh. This is, not you know, doing this black thing. Yeah. Well, and there's there's an aspect of that, but it needs to be safe for her to do it. Yeah. If that's what she needs. Yeah. I feel like we should provide support for however someone needs to grieve. Right. And, and it doesn't always come in, you know, the, the, the stages of grief don't come in order. They're just the stages. They people circle around through them, and they, you know. But we have to we have to make it safe. But this goes back to if your idea of what it means to be a believer, your idea of what it means to be saved, means, you know, if it's detached from from scripture, if it's de- from the whole Bible, 
if it's detached from compassion, if it's detached from loving your neighbor as yourself, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself is, is about asking, gosh, what would I want in this situation? Not what should you do in this situation, but what would I want in this situation? And, and this is where, again, circling back, if you've never been the one grieving, if you've never been the one oppressed, if you've never been the one in that situation, you aren't automatically going to know how to do it, you know, how to support them. And if you think you're going to go in and fix it, or if you think you're going to go in and change it, or if you just want them to shut up so you can get back to being comfortable, it's going to detach you even more. And so it's loving our neighbor is not just having warm, gooey feelings about them. It's like loving a spouse isn't warm, gooey feelings. Loving our kids isn't warm, gooey feelings all the time. It's messy and it's, it's the choice <laughs> in the face of everything in you crying out to do the opposite of saying what actually needs to be done. What does this person need? And sometimes you have to ask. What can I do to support you right now? What do you need right now? How can I help? And, and listening to the answer. And knowing that most people don't even know how to answer right away because they've never been asked that. You know, or, or they, they just don't know. And that's when, like with Job's friends, you know, just, just stay in that first week. Just sit there. <laughs> don't start the judging because this is still happening a week later. <laughs> now they were doing really good until they did that it's like, <laughs> like yeah we're uncomfortable out here so uh job's like yeah you think you're uncomfortable i know you know <laughs> uh -huh. they're like whoa back off job you're kind of coming at us we don't like what you're saying you know so so let's go ahead let's go ahead and pray because okay. Lord, I want to pray for everyone who's not able to be with us today, that you would just keep them safe and restore them to us um, safely and, and just be speaking to them wherever they are right now, that you would, would um, just fill them with your presence. I pray, Lord, for, uh, for each of us, that you would help us to know how to love one another and how to support one another and that you would continue to, to challenge us in what it means to love you and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, that you would challenge us in what it means to love our enemy. That you would challenge us in uh, and, and just convict us of, of areas that you want to work on in us and the things you want to change in us. and Help us to engage with your text with the question of what are you saying to me, not how can I use this to go say something to someone else. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your sacrifice. And we thank you that you are the creator who puts your spark of life in us and who continues to call us to you. Help us to respond well. In Yeshua's name.